0: Hello and welcome to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI FM. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus, and we're on the web at kuci.org and iTunes at college radio. Today is Wednesday, June 13th, 2012. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and as always, Writers on Writing focuses on authors, agents, and poets in the books they create and sell. And today, my guest for the entire hour is Jess Walter. Jess is the author of the National Book Award finalist, The Zero, and the Edgar Award-winning Citizen Vance, Land of the Blind, and the New York Times' notable books over tumbled graves, and the national bestseller, The Financial Lives of the Poets, which he talked about on this show a while back, Um, and he's back to talk about his new novel, Beautiful Ruins, published by Harper, just, uh, I think just yesterday it was released, so uh, hi, Jess. Hi,
1: Barbara, how are you?
0: Great. Great to have you back again. I, yeah, I
1: you.
0: I must say I, I'm loving this book. As a writer, I find it inspiring and instructive in so many ways, and I, as a reader, it's a great read, and, and there's just so much to love about it. Um, maybe we could begin with hearing you talk a little bit about the book and what inspired you to write it.
1: Sure. Um, uh, I, I think any writer understands sort of those projects that you keep working on that don't feel like they'll ever... Uh, complete themselves and that's what this book was for me. I first went to Italy in the Cinque Terre in 1997 um, before I'd published any novels and I came back uh, so in love with the place that I was certain I was going to write a novel set there uh, and that was the year my mother died of cancer and I had to nurse her through her last few months and so I had a woman about my mother's age arriving at this town in the Cinque Terre in, the, in 1962 and that's about all I knew about it um, and and I kept going back to it. I'd 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 try to write it, and then it would sort of um, hit a wall for me. Um, and each time I went back to it, the sort of the idea of the of the novel would change a little bit. And I wrote five other novels while I waited for this one to sort of uh, be able to tell itself to me. And uh, when I went finally went back to it, I went back to it about two thousand seven. Uh, and worked on it for about a year and finished a draft and realized it still wasn't quite there. I didn't quite have it right. It was it had become sort of elaborate and its storytelling and it, had, it the novel had become about storytelling itself in a way. And um, so I wrote the Financial Lives of the Poets, which was my last novel, uh-huh. um, almost as a palate cleanser. And then when I came back to it in two thousand nine, I saw it so fresh and it and it uh, really uh, I think coalesced at that time into the story of sort of the grand sweep of our lives and um you know and through the voices of all these different characters kind of the way we we uh, live through our dreams and how our life is often you know both the life we choose and the one that we don't
0: mm, interesting it's interesting how how like you said you you kept returning to it and um and taking a little bit you know from your life and 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 outlook and philosophy and all sorts of things. I'm, I'm curious if you have projects that you begin that you don't finish, that you might even finish in terms of having a full draft, but that you just then shelve and feel like you ju- you just don't want to go back and, and actually finish it to the point where it could be, you know, sent to your agent, sent to a publisher and published.
1: Oh, sure, sure. I, You know, I think the older I get... Um, the, probably less of that, but I still think I hit probably, you know, around... Three hundred, right around what a good leadoff. <laughs> so, um, I think seventy percent of what I write doesn't uh, doesn't work out to anything. I'll often have young writers say, "Well, how do you know? Well, how do you know it's going to work? How do you know it's a novel? How do you know the story's done?" Um, and it's the it's a hard answer for them. But you don't know. And the whole time I was writing "Beautiful Ruins," or as it was called at various times, "The Hotel Adequate View," and <laughs> all kinds of things. Um, the whole time I was writing the book, of course, I didn't know. I um, and and the book itself that the title beautiful ruins is uh for me evokes almost the process of writing it that, it that you know a sort of um uh grand failure i think uh and and you know I, I always loved what faulkner said that we all failed in our dreams in our dreams of perfection and so he rates us on our <laughs> uh, abil- ability to to fail uh as I looked back at it over the to, over time, I, I assumed this was going to be like one of the other two partially finished novels that I have never done anything with, or the countless short stories that just didn't quite uh, coalesce. Um, you know, and, and, but I also think there was something in that story, and every writer knows that feeling. Um, there's something that drew, drew you to the material initially, and every time I would go back to it, I would realize what I had done to miss that, and I would tear that part away um, and I would be left with this kernel that always I thought, oh, this is what I love. Uh, this story here about um, you know about about what it, about these choices we make in our lives and uh, and how they they come to both define us uh, and um, and to give us a sort of poignancy, um, especially as we age. You know, I think the, those choices take on incredible meaning. Uh, so yeah, for me, it was um, as the book kept coming back to me, I kept finding myself back in that in that thing that I loved about it initially.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, what about point of view? Because you have such alacrity with point of view. You write from a few different points of view, including a woman and including an Italian. Um, at first, it's 1962, but then we go back to 1952, and uh pasquale's english is not so good and as you mentioned earlier the, the hotel he owns a hotel called the hotel adequate view um talk a little bit about point of view and how it is that you are able to really nail each one um oh, thank you. because uh you know when you're in in uh the woman's point of view you're right there when you're in uh shane's point of view you're right there you're, pasquale yeah
1: yeah you know i i, I think uh, for a writer, I th- I think we should challenge ourselves. You know, if I only wrote you know novels from my point of view of the um, uh you know and, and from my experience, it would uh, I I, was, I don't think I'd even be interested in my books. So, um, <laughs> but but more than that, I think uh, for me, as I said, this book sort of became about different forms of storytelling. And so, um, besides the different points of view, the different tenses, the different places, there are you know there's. Part of a war memoir from uh, from a soldier in World War II who figures prominently in the novel. There's a bit of a Hollywood tell-all um, from the famous producer. There's part of a play. There's a movie pitch, um, and so I, I I was interested in all these different forms of storytelling and how they they combine to tell the larger story of, of our lives. And I think especially for Americans who grew up. Post World War II, we are so used to movies and books, and we are in we are in narrative culture. We imagine our own lives as uh, as movies, um, and so that I, I wanted the characters in the book. Many of them are, are artists of some kind. They're writers, they're actors, they're they uh, and, and they are they are in the process of telling their their life as a story. Uh, and I, but I wanted everyone to be to try to be able self um you know i I think there's something in uh in a writer that's a little bit like an actor uh, trying to find a a place within a character and really infusing that character with um the kinds of things you feel but through that character's eyes and so you know writing from the point of view of d moray who is a young actress who meet in 1962 who um you know shows up in this small small village in italy with a mysterious illness um or maybe not she is you know writing in her point of view was just finding some place where i connected with her and and with her it was you know she was a girl who had always wanted to be famous as an actress and she says at one point she spends her life singing into hairbrushes (laughs) um and i i I connect with that you know and so uh you know although it's not hairbrushes for me it's uh you know it's that dream of being a novelist and a um, you know and uh, and it's not so much a dream of fame as a dream of being able to do this thing that that you've admired and that and that you've been moved by other writers so for you know i, I think finding a place where you connect with those characters and then um, and then the rest of it is empathy and i think you know it's something we don't talk about in fiction writing very often but i think you have to be incredibly empathetic to be able to write other characters and i think it's one of the best things a writer or a
0: well, it's interesting because, yeah, with empathy, it's it's throughout your book, and it's funny because you're poking fun at so many things, so many people, so uh, different different situations. You're poking fun, but it's never a nasty poke, you know. It's always sort of like a tongue-in-cheek kind of having fun with it, and uh, that must come from empathy.
1: Yeah, I, um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, I I'm probably I'm. A Fairly self-deprecating person, and so I, um, I, I will poke fun at uh, myself probably more than anyone else, and and yet uh, obviously hope well for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I, you know, I I, I don't think uh, there there are some authors who you know you almost feel as if they're looking down upon their creations as these poor beasts, you know. And <laughs> I I feel like I live next to uh, the characters that I write about, and and I. Um, you know I, it, it, and it isn't even about belittling them so much as finding some emotional core to them mm-hmm. and e- even a character like Michael Dean who uh, Michael Dean is the is a film producer who we meet him when he's young and then we meet him again when he's old where um decades and decades of plastic surgery and uh Collagen implants and the like have given him, uh, given the 72 year old, 72 year old man the face of a 9 year old Filipino girl. <laughs> and, um, and yet, uh, and, and I got to write his memoir. Part of the book is, is, um, a chapter of, of his failed memoir and it was such great fun to write first of all just to get inside that character and I uh, again I, I like to give myself challenges as a writer and to have fun and try different things so I wrote the entire chapter without a comma I thought this is a man who never pauses <laughs> uh, so it was such great fun to do that but more than that it was I began to see here's what Michael Dean Thinks. He sees the world in this way that is almost, in his mind, three-dimensional to everyone else's two dimensions. He sees past what people say uh, to what they actually want. Uh, he can, he can, he's like a, uh, he can see desire. And I thought, what a, what a fascinating trait for someone to believe they know what other people want. Um, more than they do uh, and it and it and it created you know you might see that person as uh as a villain or um you know uh, in in awful ways, but to him he's only doing what people want and for someone who works in Hollywood, you know whose job it is to uh, uh to divine the culture and then give them the basis things that they want, what a great trait to have
0: mm-hmm. well this would be a great time to uh hear you read a little bit from beautiful ruins. Would you do that?
1: Sure, yeah, I'll just read from the start at the very beginning. Okay. The Dying Actress, Chapter 1, April 1962, of Vigonia, Italy. The dying actress arrived in his village the only way one could come directly, in a boat that motored into the cove, lurched past the rock jetty, and bumped up against the end of the pier. She wavered a moment in the boat's stern, then extended a slender, she pressed a wide-brimmed hat against her head. All around her, shards of sunlight broke on the flickering waves. Twenty meters away, Pasquale Tursi watched the arrival of the woman as if in a dream, or rather, he would think later, a dream's opposite—a burst of clarity after a lifetime of sleep. Pasquale stopped and straightened. What, and, I'm sorry. Pasquale straightened and stopped what he was doing, what he was usually doing that spring. "'trying to construct a beach below his family's empty pensione. "'Chest-deep in the cold Ligurian Sea, Pasquale was tossing rocks the size of cats "'in an attempt to fortify the breakwater to keep the waves from hauling away "'his little mound of construction sand. "'The town's name, Port of meant port of shame "'and was a remnant from the founding of the village in the seventeenth century "'as a place for sailors and fishermen to find women of a certain moral and commercial flexibility.' It was a tight cluster of a dozen old whitewashed houses, an abandoned chapel, and the town's only commercial interest, the tiny hotel and cafe owned by Pasquale's family, all huddled like a herd of sleeping goats in a crease in the sheer cliffs. Behind the village, the rocks rose 600 feet to a wall of black striated mountains. Below it, the sea settled in a
0: so much. That was Jess Walter, reading from Beautiful Ruins, published by Harper. The book was just released yesterday, and um, I imagine, you know, I mean, whenever a book is published, it's, it's such an exciting time. But what goes on for you at, when when it's just published, these first days after a book is released? Do you visit Amazon? Do you put it out of your mind and do things to distract you, or do you just carry on with your next project?
1: You know, uh, I think you know this is my seventh book now, and my sixth novel. And uh, I, for me, the the I, I do like this part, and I've been so fortunate, especially with the last few books, to get great reviews and uh, to sell pretty well. And you know, a lot of those things that we sort of daydream about when we start, um, uh, when we you know, when we decide we want to be writers, we you know, the and and to be in a position. Weekly and Esquire, so of course you know part of what I get to do in <laughs> those first days is watch um, the nice reviews come in. And uh, but for me, I've always, I've always only ever trusted when I'm writing. Uh, and so I, I the last few days I've done the same thing I do every day, which is to get up at five thirty and take a cookie and a big cup of coffee out to my office and um, write until. Uh, yesterday I wrote until eleven. Today uh, I had this interview. Writing some of those short stories and um, and and write and beginning the next novel. So um, so yeah, I've I've mostly just been at work and I had my first reading last night uh, in Spokane, Washington, my hometown. So a great big friendly crowd. It's like uh, starting off uh, the season with a home game. So it was, <laughs> it, it was very nice.
0: Well, you know, speaking of short stories, um, you. T- in my view, your work comprises mostly literary fiction with mainstream overtones, but you've also written in the mystery crime genre, and actually that's that's where you won an Edgar Award for Citizen Vance. Um, you just talked about short stories. Do you know what genre you're writing in before you begin, or do you find out as you go? I mean, when you wrote Citizen Vance, did you set out to write a mystery? How is that for you, especially because it seems that you kind of have your fingers in different pots?
1: Yeah, I... Personally, I mean, I reject genre out of hand. I don't, uh, I, 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 understand why it's necessary and I understand some readers especially love certain writers or certain genres and, um, and there, there is no more, um, uh, no more loyal reader than, uh, than someone who reads, for instance, a series mystery, um, you know, series of mysteries. They they become so connected to those characters that they own them almost as much as the author does. And so, uh, that, that that's an incredible gift to be able to create characters like that. As for for me, um, I never liked to read that way. The last thing I wanted to do when i finished uh sherlock holmes book was read another sherlock holmes book um i want to know what the very best one is Mm -hmm. uh, and then i'll read that one (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and in the same way i uh, i can't imagine writing the same book twice either and so um some of my early novels did have crime in them i I was a crime reporter um and 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 i but i always felt as if i was using that to tell you know just a more straightforward story and there's some crime novels that i just think are and others, you know, that, that interest me less. But, but even so, I can admire the way the plot moves. But yeah, when I'm writing, I uh, to me, the story tells you what it wants to be. It's self-contained within within itself. And I think there are a lot. I, I think that's a movement among writers, uh, Michael Chabon, um, you know, who mm-hmm. who can incorporate comic books into literary fiction, and uh, and uh, Jonathan Leatham, an amazing writer is coincidentally um in Pomona down there mm-hmm. uh, and you know and he he will use science fiction in ways that I think are um are inventive and ingenious and so yeah i i think um you know for for me the you know genre is is a a color on your palette it isn't it doesn't define what you do you know you're this is a painting you're making, and if the best way to paint it is to use shades of gray and noirish black then you'll use that if the best way to do it is is to use bright vivid colors and a kind of expansiveness um then that's what i like to do you know i i um uh, and i I think it's that way when i write too i don't i don't see a novel like clockers by richard price you know which is essentially a crime novel um any different than i see um anna karenina you know they're they're both just great books
0: Hmm. um are you reading fiction as you write
1: yeah i read all the time um i'll read non-fiction sometimes to sort of um uh, as research to immerse myself in the world that i'm writing uh but i read fiction because i'm a fan i mean the um we all became wanted to become fiction writers because we had experiences in which we were moved in such a way that we want to repeat that experience for other for um, and so I'm constantly looking for that experience again. Sometimes um, if I'm writing something that's incredibly specific, I'll avoid books that might be about the same subject only because I don't want to become mm-hmm. either frozen in um, respect for what they've done <laughs> or that dread fear that I've, I've got nothing to add to this. So, mm-hmm. for instance, when I was writing The Zero, which is a dark satire about our reaction to terrorism, uh, I didn't read any other novels about nine eleven. Mm-hmm. And when, I, and frankly, when I was working on it, there weren't. <laughs> but, but even uh, as I started to finish, and some of those books began to come out. But I read nonfiction on it uh, about that topic to immerse myself in it. But with fiction, I, I, I do want to keep my voice in my head. The, um, you know, voice is kind of the elemental thing for me. I like to find the voice of a piece, uh, and I don't want, you know, to to be either copying someone else's voice or um, shuddering an envy at, at it.
0: Well it's nice to know that uh with with all these books under your belt you still uh shudder and envy. I mean that's oh, sure. yeah. <laughs> I don't I wonder if that ever ends. You know, maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah,
1: you know I, I don't think it does. You know, you read the uh y- you know, you read the diaries of Fitzgerald and Hemingway and Dos Passos and they're mm-hmm. just constantly comparing themselves with each other, you yeah. know, and um you know somewhere uh, someone's had a great book but they're Jealous of Jonathan Franzen or something, right. so you know I, what I try not never to do is what Hemingway did, which is treat writing as a competitive sport. And so, when my, when other writers are successful, I revel, I uh, rejoice for them, and um, and I and I hope they'll they'll do the same, you know, because for me it is, you know, it's such an individual thing, and you know, and what we're trying to do is. Writing a novel is an incredibly difficult thing. Writing one that works, writing one that connects with people—it's um, uh, you know—it's so rare and difficult that uh, that to me, it's um, you know, it's to be celebrated when
0: anyone's able to do it. Mm. Well, we're going to take a real short break, so all of you out there, stay with us. Uh, Jess will be back for the second half, and he'll read uh, from, be- from beautiful ruins again. So uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to just take a real short break. Mm-hmm.
2: Come back baby please don't go No I love you darling hate to see you go Come back baby let's talk it over One more time My heart's full of sorrow my my Years gone. Twenty-four hours, child. Seemed like a thousand years. Come back, baby. Let's talk it over one more time. One more better day. Let's talk it over before you go away. Come back, baby. Let's talk it over one more time.
0: Stone on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. I'll
2: be there. The views and opinions expressed on
1: this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org.
0: And welcome back to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine. We're broadcasting from the University of California, Irvine campus. We're on the web at org and on iTunes at College Radio. I'm Barbara DeMarco Barrett, and we've been on with Jess Walter. His new novel is Beautiful Ruins, published by Harper. Let's bring him back on. There you are.
1: There I am. <laughs> Here you are.
0: Um you know, this book um has so many twists and turns and and threads, and a very practical question is how do you keep track of all the twists and turns?
1: Well, I keep a really uh, a, a really detailed writing journal um I'll write all morning and then I usually go to a coffee shop and just sort of outline in my head what's happening um I don't really keep flow charts or outlines um I like to be sort of surprised organically about where things are going but this book was difficult because it it's like an elaborate puzzle in a way and you have to you know you're you're bringing all these disparate things in um you know essentially there are these two characters pasquale and d and they meet in 1962 in italy uh and then uh, and then we flash forward to hollywood in the present day um where you know there there's a uh, A studio, a woman working for a producer who's about to hear pitches, and and Pasquale, uh, forty-eight years later, comes into her office looking for this actress he met in 1962, and she assumes it's a pitch she's hearing. And um, so, so from that setup, the the story does, you know, it goes into different voices, different forms, Uh, and so it was difficult keeping track of all that stuff. And in my writing journal, I would just make notes to myself. I would say, um, you know. in, in Michael Dean's um, you know, memoir that I'm going to include in the one chapter here. We need to get this across. You know, I can't give away. You know, who is the father of Dee's baby until this point. You know, and uh, you know various things like that. And so it was. Um, you know, th- those kinds of things were just co- were constant checking and rewriting. I'm I'm an obsessive reviser, and um, I'm almost sure there's not a single sentence from the 2008 version of this novel that exists in the same form. I, I rewrote every bit of it. Um, as I, you know, as I would go through reworking things and constantly going back to the beginning. And, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, you know, more than certainly my other books, The Financial Lives of the Poets is a real straightforward, mm-hmm. linear book that takes place over four days. Um, and in that one, there was very little, um, beyond just writing the book that I needed to do. This, this one, um, I, I almost had to follow my, my own progress in my writing journal.
0: So, um, do you? I mean, I'm just trying to kind of key into how you how you work in terms of in terms of plotting because there's so much that's going on here, and, and every character. I mean, there's just so many so many surprises. Do you do you um, when you're writing? Do you go, well, what kind of crazy thing could happen now? <laughs>
1: Um, I, I have a good friend, a writing professor and author himself named Sam Ligan, who likes to say, as other writers do, he didn't coin the phrase, but, um, but he's the one that I always think of when I hear it, that writing is the process of discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly don't know what's going to happen with my people until, they, until I start working on them. And then um, it, it's not so much what crazy thing can happen as I start to get a shape uh, an idea of what the sense of the book is and a shape of the entire thing, I want it to have a certain narrative shape more than a plot or what happens or you know it 's not a string of events for me it 's a shape and it's so for instance, for beautiful ruins um, all along, I thought this is a story about um, you know we 're going to meet these people in who are about seventy, uh, and there are these, and we 're going to find out you know what happened to them in their youth, almost like across some ruins like coming across and and I want to do that with ruins I want to use artifacts to create that uh, and I want the whole thing to be about that sense that we that we reach an age in which um, there's a beauty to the choices we've made and a beauty to the life we've lived even if it's even if it has included failure even if we are nothing more than rubble um, there's something engaging and, and beautiful in, in what we've done uh, there was a point in which I was you know, and, and so then I'll look for ways to, to sort of illustrate that within the story. So, for instance, Pasquale and Dee are hiking in the Cinque Terre. And when I was there, I saw all of these um, machine gun tourists, all of these bunkers. Uh, and mm. so, um, for me, the thing that 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 then popped into my writing journal, and, and most of the characters are artists, and most of them are trying to express um, the, themselves through some kind of art. And I thought, what if there was a painter who had left you know, in World War II, a German soldier who had painted frescoes on the on the walls of one of these bunkers, um, and so it's it's more in that way. I'm, I'm looking for ways to illustrate the theme, uh, and uh, and you know, and to figure out how my characters got to where they're going. It's it's such an intuitive and difficult process mm-hmm. to describe, but I'm, I hardly ever am thinking like what should happen next, mm-hmm. so much as what's. You know what's the satisfying thing? Who are these people? What would they do next? Um, and then you know, and uh, and I'm very much like a reader. I, I want, um, you know, I want when Pasquale and Dee finally see each other again after 48 years. I'm I'm dying wondering what's going to happen. <laughs> what are they going to say to each other? How are they going to be? Um, and then when I get there, uh, you know, it can just be it can be great and thrilling. You know, but but that you know that question when you have a couple that. Um, that that has a moment that's so important to both of them and then doesn't see each other for 48 years there's, it's not as if the author has a whole lot of choices except to figure out what that moment's going to be you know mm-hmm. that's that's as much plotting as I need to know is that um that when these people get together it had better be interesting
0: did you know it was going to be a multiple point of view novel when you began
1: you know those those questions are always so tough there <laughs> Um, do you, uh, you, you remember the, the Watergate uh, hmm. uh, hearings? And they sure. would constantly ask, you know, what did you know and when <laughs> did you know it? And, and I, I feel like that some way. Um, my my first image of the book, yeah, was that it would. Uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to look at um, at at a moment between two people, and and I often have a question that I'm posing to myself. And the question I remember asking with this one was whether or not the only Truly successful romance can be one that is that um, fails, that doesn't happen. Uh, if if romance is the kind of thing that exists better in fantasy and in um, uh, and in uh, and in its uh, potential than in its execution, and um, so so I, I think you know, beginning with that question, um, I wanted to see from at least two points of view: from her point of view and from his. Um, as I said later. We are we are we create a narrative uh, and and we are almost like our own publicists in Hollywood now we have a Facebook page <laughs> in which um, we work really hard to make sure that we are presented in exactly the way we want you know we choose the photos
0: Well, I'd love to hear you read again from Beautiful sure, Ruins. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I'll read from the second chapter which is mm-hmm. um Recently, Hollywood, California. Before sunrise, before Guatemalan gardeners and dirty dinged lawn trucks, before Caribbeans come to cook, clean, and clothe, before Montessori, Pilates, and coffee bean, before Benzes and BMWs nose onto palm streets and the blue-toothed sharks resume their endless business, the gentrification of the American mind, there are the sprinklers rising from the ground to spit-spray the northwest corner of greater Los Angeles, airport to the hills, downtown to the beaches, the slumbering rubble of the entertainment regime. In Santa Monica, they call to Claire Silver in the pre-dawn quiet of her condo, stay hey. Her curly red hair splayed out on the pillow like a suicide. They whisper again, stay hey. And Claire's eyelids flutter, She inhales, orients, glances over at the marbled shoulder of her boyfriend, sprawled asleep on his 70% of the king size. Daryl often cracks the bedroom window behind their bed when he comes in late, and Claire wakes like this, pstay, to water spritzing the rock garden outside. She's asked the condo manager why it's necessary to water a bed of rocks every day at 5 a.m., or at all for that matter, but that's not really the issue. Claire wakes, jonesing for Data. She fumbles on the crowded bedside table for her BlackBerry, takes a digital hit. Fourteen emails, six tweets, five friend requests, three texts, and her calendar, life in a palm. General stuff, too. It's, fr- it's Friday, 66 on the way to 74. Five phone calls scheduled today, six pitch meetings. Claire is the chief development assistant for the legendary film producer, Michael Dean. But the title is phony. Her job's all assistant no developing and she's nobody's chief she tends Michael's whims answers his calls and emails goes for his sandwiches and coffee and mostly she reads for him great herds of scripts and synopses one sheets and treatments a stampede of material going nowhere she'd hoped for much more when she quit her doctoral film studies program and went to work for the man who was known in the 70s and 80s as the dean of Hollywood she'd wanted to make movies smart, moving films. But when she arrived three years ago, Michael Dean was in the worst slump of his career with no recent credits except the indie zombie bomb Night Ravagers. In Claire's three years, Dean Productions has made no other movies. In fact, its only production has been a single television program, the hit reality dating show and matching website, hookbook.net. And with the monstrous success of that cross-media abomination, movies are a fading memory at Dean Productions. Instead, Claire's days are spent listening to pitches so offensive, she fears she might be single-handedly hastening the the apocalypse. Model behavior. We take seven models and put them in a frat house. And nympho night. We film the dates of people diagnosed with sex addiction. And drunk midget house. See, it's a house full of drunk midgets.
0: (laughs) that's,
1: uh, That's... Claire
0: Silver's job yeah that's she's a great character so right. so funny what comes up in this chapter too um, and I am curious about about this in terms of do you um, complete a scene do you complete a chapter before you stop for the day so that it's so, so that it's um, sort of seamless like this chapter for know, instance
1: I, I, I'm I'm pretty forgiving of myself um, w- when it comes to you uh, um, when it comes to um, uh you know what i do that day i i uh i a long time ago i feared writer's block so much and i i had this epiphany that uh when I got writer's block, it wasn't me. You know, why, why do we call this writer's block? It was the material that was that was causing the problem, uh, and so I started calling it writing block. It wasn't you know, <laughs> it wasn't the thing that I was working on, and so I made a vow to myself that I would um, write what I want to write most days. Uh, and of course, there are times when I'm on deadline and I've got to finish a piece and I've and I've got to write something. Um, but but I think as with beautiful ruins, when something is really stuck, I don't force it. Because i found that it didn't seem to work so i'll just but rather than get up from the desk or um go play ping pong or you know do something that isn't writing i stay at the desk and just work on something else and if you've ever done dishes or or um laundry or anything um which you're really thinking about something else you realize that when you do some other task the answer comes to you and so Mm -hmm. i found that if i you know if i get stuck in a scene for instance and i step away and write something else whether it's in the same book or in another book um when i go back to the scene i it feels almost as if i've found the answer to it and so i never mind stepping away from things and um so no I, I, i generally don't finish scenes and i start most days um, backtracking. I'll begin every writing day going back over the pages I wrote the day before, or sometimes the week before. Often, you know, every morning I'll start at the beginning of a chapter and, and comb my way through looking for every phrase, reading reading it out loud. I'm I, um, very auditory, and so I, I like to read the sentences as I write them. Um, and it, So it's almost like combing through ratty hair. I'll go back up and start again, and, you know, and then write my way back down to whatever whatever place I stopped or whatever problem I'm having. Uh, so that by the time I'm done, I, I've rewritten, you know, sentences over and over hundreds of times sometimes.
0: Did you have such a discipline in the early days when you were starting out? Because it sounds like you, you know to stay at the desk or to stay in your writing room or office or wherever it is that you write.
1: You know, I, th- um, I, I was trained as a journalist and um, you know, there's a word for journalists with writer's block. It's called unemployed. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so I, I think, and I come from very blue collar stock and, you know, my dad, when he worked at the aluminum plant, never had aluminum block, you know, he <laughs> just, he just kind of went to work. And so I, I think that was the first part of it. I think I, I have that sort of, um, work mentality. I was also a young father. I was a dad at 19, so I had someone to support. So, um, you know, my, uh, I, I wrote whatever I wrote. It was with the intent of uh, of supporting my kids. So, um, so I think that's the first piece of it. But the second piece is a much gentler um, way with myself, which is, uh, as I said, I don't. I try not to force it. And so, um, I wake up every morning so excited to get to work because I've, I'm I work on five or six different things at once. And when something gets my attention, then I focus solely on it until. You know, until I can't work on it anymore. But I write. So I write scripts. I write poetry. I write short stories and essays and book reviews. And um, and there's almost always something I want to write. And I love to do it. I love to write. When people will compliment my discipline, they'll say, you know, it's amazing. You get up every morning with your cup of coffee and your big cookie and you go to work. And, <laughs> um, to me, it's like they're saying, you know, it's incredible the way you sit and watch baseball and drink beer every day. <laughs> you know, how do you do that? Every day you crack a beer and turn on the baseball game. You know, it's um, you know, it's the thing I like to do more than anything. I, uh, I love reading and I love that part of writing that is like reading.
0: Uh, do you, Do you work on all these different things at the same desk in the same room?
1: i do i 'll break away I, I need to get away sometimes and have and look at something else i 'll rearrange my office just because i 'm tired of staring at things but yeah i have I have an office above the garage um, which is thirty two paces from my back door and i i 'll walk out there every morning and put really light music quietly out behind me. I have a window looking out over um, uh, Mount Spokane and the Spokane River and uh, the back of my house and um, so it's a nice view, but not, not overwhelmingly nice so that it doesn't distract me too much. And, uh, I've got a comfortable chair and then, you know, and then I just tell myself a story and, uh, um, you know, in whatever form I've decided to work in that day. And, uh, you know, I wish there were some other secret to it, but, um, uh, but it's, I think it's just repetition and superstition and finding a way to actually enjoy it.
0: Sure. We have a few more minutes left with Jess Walter. His new book is Beautiful Ruins, uh, published by Harper. Back to uh, Pasquale, the the, uh, Italian section or sections of the book. Um, His cohorts are so expertly drawn, and um, your Italian seems to be pretty good. Are you fluent?
1: My Italian is much improved by the uh, translator that I hired to go in and, um, and comb over my Brutto mm-hmm. Italian. So there was a copy editor at HarperCollins who thankfully spoke better Italian than me. I don't speak. My Italian is molto Bruto. It's uh, very, very ugly. Um, but you had I, it in there enough. Uh, what the? You had it in there enough, so yeah. That, uh... You know, I, I had to have someone look over it, and I, I think I hit. I think I had a solid fifty percent success rate with my Italian, <laughs> but about half of it, um, you know, needed needed some tweaking to to um, you know to be the right phrase, you know. And and I was too often I was looking it up in in um, dictionaries or trying translation programs, you know, because there were phrases mm-hmm. there were you know the phrases that I knew I I could do, but when you're writing about you know actual Italians. Um, it can be more difficult, you know, and uh, and uh, there was um, Richard Burton, of course, becomes a character in the novel, and uh, and he and Pasquale are um, have some adventures, and uh, and there, there were a couple of scenes between them where, in which I I thought that maybe Richard Burton spoke Italian as badly as I did, and so I thought, oh, I'll, I'll make Richard Burton my, uh, uh, you know, I'll give him my bad Italian phrases, but uh, in the end, he he. Um, he wanted mostly just to speak in, in great Richard Burton. Life.
0: <laughs> and and again, um, Pasquale's cohorts that come come yeah. into the hotel and are just you know just so rude to him. They are so hilarious.
1: Oh, thanks. Where did yeah. they come from? Uh, you know, I, I think I have a sort of natural inclination to lighten um, when when I'm heading for one mood. I I, mm. I want you know it's almost like a stereo when when you feel the bass mm-hmm. too high you want some treble you know and because the the book is about romance i constantly wanted this edge of humor along it and um uh you know and and the town that Pasquale lives in the fishermen tease him he he has this dream of building a tennis court uh, in this on this rocky shore which is course an insane dream because there's almost no place to put a tennis court and as someone points out to him what you know what'll happen when the balls fly into the sea uh, And he hasn't thought of that he's assumed the players will hit them back and forth every time and so the the um the fishermen tease him about that his good friend Orenzio uh you know teases him they have a game where they offend each other with um the, the most awful phrases uh and uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 thought it was a way to sort of ground him and uh, and to bring some humor into those sections that were mostly about him falling for a woman he doesn't even know.
0: Yeah, and, and regarding the tennis court, it was so funny. You know, he's thinking, you know, maybe he could do a smaller court with smaller right. rackets.
1: Right, it's right, hilarious. Rather like than a pickleball court. I think,
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're at the end of our time. Uh, any any advice for? The novelists listening, the writers listening here.
1: You know, it's all—it's always so. Uh, it, it, I think the tendency for writers is to, to sort of say to give advice that reflects the way you did it. And I always think that there's this vast desert that we've all crawled across, and we think the way we crawl is the way to do it. <laughs> and uh, and you crawl across the desert however you can get across. You know, the the only trait that I know um, uh, that that works is resilience is just to keep at it. And every writer I know who's had success has had equal parts failure. And so, um, yeah, you know, I think finding a way to, to, to really get your, um, to get your, um, satisfaction from the process itself, from writing itself, and then to, uh, and then to write with great resolve and to find your voice and to trust the things you love. I always tell young writers to make a list of the 10 books that, really affected them the most not a list to show other people so that they can see that you know that you've uh, what a dickens fan you are but the books you would really put in there whether it's harry potter or um whatever it is and uh and and if you look at that list that's probably the wheelhouse within within which you want to be writing um you know and and then to write for yourself to to be humble enough to take the opinions of others but to really try to trust your own voice
0: do you feel that you write the books you want to read
1: exactly what I do I write mm-hmm. the next sentence I want to read and I think it's one of the reasons that I that I switch gears so often is I write the next book I want to read.
0: Mhm. So interesting. Well, best of luck with this. I'm sure it's Thanks, it's going to do wonderfully. It's just so great and oh, I appreciate that. Really you. appreciate your time here. Thank you.
1: It's always great talking to you. Such great questions.
0: That was Jess Walter. His new book is Beautiful Ruins, a wonderful, wonderful book that uh, all readers and writers should take a look at. Uh, yes, I said should. <laughs> I'm not telling you you must buy it. That would be illegal. That would be wrong. I'm just telling you, you should read it, um, especially uh, especially if you're writing a novel. And... Um, you know, we need to study good books. We need to study books that work and writers that, um, do what we're trying to do or hope to do. And, um, this one does so many things. Multiple point of view characters and a twisty-turny narrative. And he invents an Italian village seaport, um, he he places it in, in the past, in 62, and then back a little to 52. And, and then it's in contemporary L.A., Hollywood. Um, just so many wonderful elements that we didn't even get to talk about. But the book hit yesterday, and I'm sure there's lots of reviews and interviews with Jess that you could Google. And he has a website. Again, he's Jess Walter, Beautiful Ruins, a novel published by Harper. And that's all the time we have. Uh, so until next week, next time, thank you for listening to Writers on Writing on 88.9 KUCI-FM in Irvine.